Let's turn in your back to Numbers chapter 14. There's a Bible there in the pew. Do you open it, please, just to that portion if you can. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Numbers 14. And we just want to look at a verse or two of this passage this morning. Let's unite our heart just in a short word of prayer as we come to the preaching of God's word. Father in heaven, we do thank thee again for thy presence. Lord, we say we can uh, repeat the scriptures that says, where the two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And Lord, we pray that thou might, Lord, tabernacle thyself amongst us this morning. Lord, come by. Oh God, we pray for that still small voice of the Lord to be heard above the preacher's voice. We, we ask, Lord, you'd shut us in with thyself even now. Lord, we, we know that, that there's much that, that is before us, even tonight or this week. Lord, even shut out those things and those meetings, even that thou might, Lord, help us to concentrate on thy word this morning, that we might seek a word from God, and thou might, Lord, challenge our souls afresh, whether saint or sinner alike, there might be a word in season. Lord, to that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me, Lord, help from the sanctuary that I might preach as thus and thus, saith the Lord. For we ask these mercies in our Savior's name. Amen. Today, people speak about being in their comfort zone. And it implies those areas of life or career which come to us as second nature. But you know the difficulties, men and women, young people come when we feel we have to get out of this comfort zone. And that may mean being the only one to go against the majority. It may mean the only one to speak up for the Lord in a crowd. And you know it is never easy. And it's never easy even in the life of the church as well. There are many churches content just to be smug in themselves and not to ruffle any feathers. They don't want to stand against sin. They don't want to stand up for God's truth. They certainly don't want to reach out on a concerted effort to the lost. But you know, we thank God that while many don't want to seem to do that which is out of the ordinary, there are examples of those in the scriptures who did exactly that. You can think of Elijah this morning upon the Mount Carmel and how he was pitted against 450 prophets of Baal, who in a charismatic frenzy were seeking to call down the fire upon the sacrifice, but all to no avail. And a lot of jumping about, a lot of hot air. They were exposed that day for what they really were, false religionists, who were guilty of wooing the nation of Israel unto false gods. But Elijah stood firm, And he called upon the only true and living God of heaven and of earth. And God answered by fire that day and consumed the sacrifice. But you know it is to another man of the same milk. But I want us just to consider for a time. It was when the children of Israel had known their deliverance. Even from the land of Egypt through the power of the shed blood of the Passover lamb. God had brought them through the Red Sea. He had brought them through the wilderness until they came to Kadesh. And if you understand 
Even where Kadesh Barnea is, it's right on the border of entering into the promised land. The opening words of the Deuteronomy chapter 1 tells us, it only took them 11 days from Mount Horeb until Kadesh. They could have been in the promised land shortly after those 11 days. That's how close they were even to the promised land. We have known, of course, it took them another 40 years. But here they're found at Kadesh, they're very in the very threshold of entering in, and God directs Moses to send in the spies to spy out the land. And so the names of those twelve spies are given who went on their forty day uh, duty of inspection. But what was to come back was both the majority and the minority report. The majority agreed it was a land full of milk and honey. It flowed with it. But they also said, to quote them, we're not able to go up against the people for they are stronger than we. We're not able. But there was two men who stood out from the majority, Joshua and Caleb, who gave a different report, who stood out uh, from the other ten. Much is known, of course, of Joshua. But what about this man, Caleb? What do, we need? what do we know about him? We need go no further than what the Lord says of this man in verse 24 that we have read together. But my servant Caleb, because he had another spirit with him and hath followed me fully, him will I bring into the land whereinto he went, and his seed shall possess it. Just want to bring that little text before you, Numbers 14 and 24. You'll notice, first of all, the spirit of Caleb. Verse 24 stands in contrast to those verses which are before it. Why? Because Caleb was a man who stood out from the rest. He was not one whom I would term had the spirit of the age. And if we look at some of these verses, then we'll understand something, we'll realize of what that spirit was. You look at verse 1, for example, it was a spirit of fear. And the congregation lifted up their voice and cried, and the people wept that night. When they heard the evil report, it caused them to go into an uproar. It caused them to weep, for there was a fear of what lay ahead in the land. They latched on to what the men had reported in the majority of the, of the spies, and they spoke about the giants in the land, and I believe that was a lie. Because when children of Israel eventually do get into Canaan, there's never any mention made of any giants there. I believe that was a lie. But they spoke about the giants, and there was a fear of man that brought a snare. And because the majority of the spies trembled, then so did the people. You look at verse 2, there's a spirit of murmuring. And all the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron. The whole congregation said unto them, Would God that we had died in the land of Egypt? Or would God we had died in this wilderness? Is that complaining spirit? And they complain against the servants of the Lord. And isn't it interesting to note, if you go to verse 27, we didn't read it, but you read it now with me, what God says about their murmuring. He says, How long shall I bear with this evil congregation which murmur against me? I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, which they murmur against me. In verse 2, we read that they murmured against Moses and Aaron. God says, in effect, they're murmuring against me. A murmuring spirit against God's servants is, in effect, a murmuring against God himself. 
They complained that they had ever been brought that way. They wished that they had died in Egypt or even died in the wilderness. You know, the sad thing is that God would grant them their wishes. For they were never to see the promised land. Their carcasses would be buried in the wilderness. What's more, there's a spirit of unbelief. Look at verse 3. Wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land to fall by the sword that our wives and our children should be a prey? Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? They disbelieved the word of the Lord. They didn't believe that they would ever make it into the promised land as God had promised. The spies were riddled with unbelief. They said we're not able to go up against the people. They measured themselves, you see, against the strength of the cities and they were just like grasshoppers. They saw great obstacles and then they saw that God was not able to bring them into that land to overcome those obstacles. A God who was not able to keep his word. A God who was not able to fulfill his word. That is unbelief. And that is a disease that had gripped the heart of this people as well. There's That was something of the spirit of the age. The same as is prevalent even in our own day and generation. And sadly, we have to say a spirit that has also crept into the church of Jesus Christ. Is there not a fear among the people of God today? That's not a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But it's a fear of this, of that, of the other, of what's going to happen. And we are living in a day of murmuring and complaining in the work of the Lord and it's coupled with a spirit of unbelief. It's the opposite of faith. For faith is taking God at his word, reading his promises and knowing them to be true and proving them to be true. And yet this was evident in the time of the Lord as well. This is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Men and women, I would just say, God forbid that our time of outreach would be marked by unbelief of what we read in Matthew chapter 13 in the Savior's earthly ministry, verse 58 says, the last verse of that chapter, and he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. As my prayer that that would never be root against Market Hill. I would never be root over this congregation. The Lord did not many mighty works there because of unbelief. Then you'll notice there's a scene also the spirit of rebellion. What's in their mind but to return back to the land of bondage. Look at the words of verse 3 and 4 again. At the end of verse uh, 3, Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? They said one to another, Let us make a captain and let us return into Egypt. How quickly they had forgotten the bondage. How quickly they had forgotten the oppression of their masters. They wanted a leader from, from which to lead them and guide them back into Egypt. They wanted a leader because they knew rightly that Moses would have no part in this rebellion. Moses wouldn't have that same spirit to take them back into Egypt. How foolish is their suggestion on the very verge of the land of promise. And yet they desire to go back to the leeks and to the garlic and to the bondage that they had known before. Child of God, it's never the Lord's desire for you or me to go back into Egypt. Egypt in the scripture is a type, is a picture of the world. 
It's never God's will for us to go back into the things of the world. The Lord has delivered us. The Lord has redeemed us. He's brought us out. Brought us out of the prison house. Never to bring us in again. He's given us a liberty and a freedom that we never had in the world. All that this amounted to was an open, unadulterated rebellion and disobedience to the ways and to the will of God. It was another occasion in which they were provoking the Lord their God. And you'll notice that when God speaks, he had noted how many times they had been guilty of this. Verse 22, Because all those men which have seen my glory and my miracles which I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tempted me now these ten times and have not hearkened to my voice, the Lord counted them. It started at the Red Sea. It continued at the waters of Marah. It was seen with the manna on two occasions of murmuring. The golden calf as well. They attempted, they had challenged God at his words. How the lure of Egypt and the world is enticing to many believers when the road of obedience seems to be tough. We would just remember Hebrews chapter 10 and 38 now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in them. That was the spirit of the people. But the Lord says of Caleb in our text, he has a different spirit. He would have no part in this concerted effort of rebellion. He would not rebel against Moses or his God. He would not be found among the complainers or those who were skeptical or unbelieving. He never was one who desired to go back to Egypt. Here was a man who had the spirit of faith. He believed God. He believed God's promises. And his report shows that to be so. You just look, lift your eye up into chapter 13. Uh, look at the words of verse 30. And Caleb stilled the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and possess it. For we are well able to overcome it. Look at verse 7 and 8 of chapter 14. And they spake unto his, uh, Joshua and Caleb, unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which we pass through to search it is an exceeding good land. If the Lord delight in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it us a land which flowed with milk and honey. God would bring them into the land. God would enable them to overcome whatever they would encounter. He would look back over the time of that wilderness. He would see how they had been prospered. He remembered with fondness the deliverance on the night of Passover. He had seen how God had led them by fire in the night, by the cloudy pillar, even by the day. And he knew that the Lord delighted in his people. That's the spirit that Caleb had. You know, we could say with the words of Romans chapter 4, and verse 20, they could have been written by Caleb instead of by his forefather. Romans 4, in the words of verse 20, says, He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief. Now, it's speaking about his ancestor Abram, but it could speak about Caleb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was well 
able, he was able also to perform. Tell me, of what spirit are you even this morning on the threshold of reaching out in this time of gospel mission? May the Lord find us as those who are trusting in him, who are resting in the promises of his word as we go forth to the gospel campaign. Not only is there the spirit here, but I want you to notice the testimony of Caleb here. Here's a man whose walk was different. For his testimony was that he had followed me fully. He had followed me fully. And that's not the word of a man. That's the word of God. Verse 24 of our text. You'll notice the position of Caleb in his walk. He's following the Lord. A born again Christian follows the Lord. One who saved truly. One who's repented of their sin. Is a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's a false doctrine abroad that denies that. It's just a, 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 an old truth dressed up in, in nicer words. But it's still a, a false heresy. If you're saved, you're a disciple. You're following Christ. Christ is Lord over our life. And Caleb was a man who was following the Lord. He wasn't going before the Lord. But rather following him as any believer is to do. You see, the sheep follow the shepherd. John chapter 10, great chapter of the shepherd and the sheep, verse 3, to him the porter openeth and the sheep hear his voice and he calleth his own sheep by name and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. It's a little different in the western culture. The shepherd drives the sheep. Or the dogs do. But in the eastern setting, the shepherd went before and the sheep followed. The Lord said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. The soldier in the army of the Lord is to follow the captain of their salvation. For it is he that points out the way, is he that leads, is he that bears the brunt of the danger. And such is the testimony of this man Caleb. He followed the Lord. I suggest to you that he's one who lived up to his name. You might be surprised to know that one meaning of the word Caleb means dog. And you might struggle to see, well, what, what's the connection there? Anyone ever, ever, have you ever had a faithful dog? You ever owned a good dog that will... One of its best virtues, it follows its master. We have had many a dog around our house at home when I was growing up, and particularly one that stood out. Actually, an Alsatian. Followed the master. Through thick and thin, through good paths or muddy paths, that dog will follow on. And even at times it gets a beating, it'll still follow. And then a woman, never a dog, followed his master like Caleb followed his God. He kept close to his God. But I want you to see that his testimony was uncompromising. It just doesn't say that Caleb followed the Lord, but he followed me fully. The exact same word is used 
In Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 36, yet it is translated slightly differently there. It says, Save Caleb the son of Jephunneh, he shall see it unto him, will I give the land that he hath trodden upon us to his children. Why? Because he hath wholly followed the Lord. He hath wholly followed his God. He followed him with all his heart. When he was to bring the report of what he saw in the land, he did so what was in his heart. Verse 7 of chapter 14 that we read. And they spake unto all the company of the children of Israel, saying, The land which he passed through to search it is an exceeding good land. It's a better land than Egypt. And when he followed the Lord, he did so with all his heart. There's no lukewarmness with Caleb, that which we read about in the believers in the Laodicean church in Revelation chapter 3. When he heard the promises of God about the promised land, he believed them with all his heart. He's not a man who would compromise his faith. He wouldn't compromise his trust in his God. You think of Peter in the New Testament. Peter maybe stands out above all the other disciples. He certainly is one who goes forward many a time and is heard to be speaking first. And Peter followed the Lord. But you know there was that time that came that he followed afar off. This is Peter. Because we read in in Luke chapter 22 and the words of verse 44, Then took they him, that is, the soldiers took Christ and laid him and brought him into the high priest's house. And we have these four words. And Peter followed, or five words, Peter followed afar off. And we all know, of course, what led to that, what, what that led to, what happened. Because while he followed afar off, it brought him to the fire and to that company around that fire. And it led him into bypass meadow. It led him to denying the Lord with oaths and curses. He was backslidden. Maybe the same is true of one this morning who professes the name of Christ in this very meeting house. There's a following afar off. My dear friend, the crux of a faithful following of the Lord lies in that word holy. Caleb did not cherry pick what part of God's word he would carry out. He was as willing to face the opposer as he was to carry back the grapes from the promised land. You read with me again verse 9. He says, Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land, for they are bread for us. Their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Fear them not. He was willing to stand against the testimony of the other ten spies. He wouldn't compromise his principles. He wouldn't give in to their reasonings and to their persuadings and to their murmurings. But he was faithful in giving a true report. You know what Caleb said? Let us go up at once and possess it, for we're well able to overcome it. You notice that his testimony was unchanging. Not only uncompromising, unchanging. The Lord had brought him out of Egypt through the wilderness and from the first day until now, much later on in his life, as we find him, he's still wholly following the Lord. I bring you to uh, Joshua chapter 14. Now, maybe put your finger in there because I'm going to bring you back there just in a moment. But you just consider with me 
Joshua chapter 14. We're in Numbers 14 now. Here's Joshua 14. And the words of verse 6. And then the children of Judah came unto Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Canaanite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said unto Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. This is now them having crossed over the Red Sea. They're now in the promised land. And Caleb steps forward. He says, Do you remember what Moses said? Verse 7, 40 years old was I when Moses, a servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. He didn't just go with the majority. He spoke what was in his heart. He wholly followed the Lord. Verse 8, Nevertheless, my brethren that went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. Verse 12, Now therefore give me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. For thou heardest in that day how the Anakims were there and that the cities were great and fenced. If so be the Lord will be with me, then I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And Joshua blessed him and gave unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh Hebron for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Canaanite, unto this day, because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. I'm saying to you that his following was unchanging. Forty-five years he had dwelt in the land of Israel, and yet without rebelling, without murmuring, but all the time, he wholly follows the Lord. His walk was not in fits and starts. His walk wasn't a limp into the promised land. His walk was constant. His walk was unchanging. He always laid hold upon God. He didn't rest upon men. He didn't trust upon men. And so when the winds of doubt and the winds of fear and disobedience blew, he still found to be standing strong. I wonder, men and women, does the Lord find you, does the Lord find us to have such a testimony? The secret to having such a faithful heart walk is to have the right spirit, is to have the right heart as Caleb had. Is there need for one of us to pray? Even those words of Psalm 51, the psalmist, where he cried unto God, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right heart within me. A right spirit. God had raised up, has raised up this church to have such a testimony, to be different, to be uncompromising, to be unchanging, even though the winds of change might blow. May the Lord enable us to be faithful, to have that faith that Caleb had, a faith based upon the unshakable conviction that the Lord delights in me. And child of God, if the Lord delights in you and me, then what can we do but else than wholly follow him? You see the promise to Caleb just in closing? Caleb was to be given a promise from God. It's seen at the end of our text in Numbers chapter 14. It says, Him will I bring into the land whereunto he went, and his seed shall possess it. 
God would reward his faithfulness with bringing him into the promised land. He received the promise that day that the land that he had seen would one day be his, his possession. And if I take you again to that passage in Joshua chapter 14 that I said I would, then I believe you'll see there that the promise to Caleb was something that he treasured. Forty-five years later, after all the wilderness wanderings through the temptations to turn back and to rebel against the Lord, Caleb steps forward to claim his inheritance. And the words of his mouth testify that the promise made 45 years earlier was just as dear to him now. I've read to you already verse 6. Look at verse 9. And Moses swear on that day, saying, Surely the land whereon thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever, because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. He remembered what Moses had said to them. Verse 10. And I behold, the Lord hath kept me alive as he said these forty and five years, ever since the Lord spake this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. He's now eighty-five. But he remembered the promise. He remembered what God had said forty-five years earlier, and he's laying hold upon that promise. All those years ago, while on tour on that land, There's only one place that was special to his heart. And he was never to forget it. And at the age of 85, he's to lay upon it, claim upon it for himself. He simply says at the start of verse 12, Neither forgive me this mountain whereof the Lord spake in that day. And the promise that he treasured all those years was fulfilled. God was true to his word. He had kept him all these years. You see how he even bears testimony to that. Verse 10, the Lord hath kept me alive as he said. It's good to reflect upon the goodness of the Lord upon our lives. You're in the house of God another week, you can say the Lord has kept you alive. You're still in the land of the living. And Caleb knew that. And Caleb here lays hold upon God for that particular place that was special to his heart. His strength had never weakened. The land that he saw was the land that he was to enjoy for himself. As I've read to you the words of verse 13 and 14, because unto Caleb the son of Jephunneh, Hebron was given for an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh the Canaanite, unto this day because that he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. Caleb was to have a complete victory. For he did what none of the rest of them could succeed in doing, and that was he drove out the enemy. He expelled them, even though the enemy was in the form of three sons of Anak. The man who wholly follows the Lord will know what it is to be wholly victorious in the battle. And dear loved one, maybe we have, and this is the very reason why we often fail to drive out all the enemies that reside in our heart. It's because we fail to wholly follow the Lord. 
The reward and the victory that Caleb enjoyed can be yours as well. If we only determine by God's grace to wholly follow the one who has conquered all, even the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Lord, help me to wholly follow thee this week. Because Christ has been victorious. Then so ought his people to be because we are in union with him. The point of your conversion and mine, we were joined unto Christ in that inseparable bond. Nothing can separate us from Christ. We're part of his body. Your arm is part of your body. Your leg is part of your body. And so we could go on. And you're part of the body of Christ. You're in union with him. And because he has been victorious over Satan, then so ought we to be. Because he has been victorious over the world and over the flesh, then so are God's people to be. We step into the victory that he has purchased for us at Calvary's cross. Your child of God, lay hold upon the Lord. They hold upon the promises that he has given. He's able to give us this mountain. He's able to cause us to possess new ground off the enemy. He's able to give us our heart's desire and to see a complete victory wrought in the lives of men and women around about us. You note the place that Caleb wanted and inherited. That place that came near to him 45 years earlier. That which captured his heart wasn't the milk and the honey, but rather it was Hebron. It was a place situated on a rugged mountain. It was a stronghold of the enemy and well guarded. But it was the place where Abraham had dwelt. It was the place where God had revealed unto him the great promise of the land. And the meaning of Hebron gives that very thought because it means fellowship, it means love, it means communion. And Caleb steps forward and he says, Lord, or Moses, give me this mountain. Moses promised it to me. Now Joshua, I'm going to lay claim for it. That was the place that Caleb cherished. That was the place that Caleb would fight for. That was the place where he'd overcome the sons of Anakat. That he might possess Hebron. It is also the place that the people of God must cherish. You see, men and women, the devil hates to see the believer seeking to ascend that mount. He will seek all in his power to keep us from communion, from fellowship, from love, a deeper love for our God. And of course, if there's a deeper love for God and a desire to have fellowship and communion with God, then those things also flow to God's people as well. He will tempt us with the milk and honey in the valley below. He will commission his forces for a battle to keep us from that place. I give that warning before I finish this morning. The devil would have us to destroy our fellowship and our communion, our love for one another at the start of this mission. You be sure of that. That's beyond our guard. And even when the mission's finished, 
The same applies, you know. The devil doesn't want us to have a greater fellowship and communion with the Lord. He certainly doesn't want us to have a a love for the brethren. But the soul that is going to be satisfied with nothing less than in life and communion and fellowship with their God is a soul like Caleb who will have another spirit and will walk that wholly follows the Lord. And that soul will be the one who will receive the well done, thy good and faithful servant from the master. And he that will be close to Christ must be a Caleb. Will you be that man? Will you be that woman, that young person? Maybe I'm preaching to someone not saved this morning. Oh, that you would get to this place where you would have done with your sin. That you would seek the Lord's face in salvation. Will you not look to the mercy of God that you might know forgiveness of sins this morning? Thank God the Lord can save in a morning meeting just in an evening service. And you can know forgiveness for your sin all because of Christ. Look to the God this morning that made Caleb the man that he was. Oh, that this morning that you would know the victory of the cross of Calvary. You would take Christ as your Lord and as your Savior. I pray that you will. I pray the Lord might bless his word to each and every one of our hearts this morning. For his own name's sake. We're going to stand and sing 465 in closing. What a fellowship, what a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. You'll find it on page 364. 364, let's stand as we sing this hymn, please.
And God and our Father, we thank thee for thy word. We bless thee for this commentary on thy servant Caleb, a man who followed me fully, a man with a different spirit. And Lord, we would desire to be like Caleb. We would desire, Lord, to have that obedient walk. We would desire, Lord, to have that different spirit, uncompromising, unchanging, even in the midst of the winds of change. Lord, we would desire, just as this hymn would picture us, just leaning on thine everlasting arms. That's how close we would desire to be with Christ. Lord, to lean where, where John in the New Testament is often described as having his head on the Savior's breast. Lord, we pray that we might wholly follow the Lord our God in these days. Speak to those that are yet unsaved. Pray, Lord, that they might understand they could have such a communion and fellowship with Christ today. They could have the joy of sins forgiven. Lord, give them that gift of, grace, a gift of faith. And we pray, Lord, I would speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Part us with thy blessing now. Give us a good Sabbath, Lord. And in thy will, bring us, Lord, even into the tent tonight. And do our souls good. We pray these things for Jesus' sake and thine eternal glory. Amen.